Yo, this is Hal in Philly, and welcome to my podcast, Tales of the Road Warriors. This is the podcast where I talk to musicians, some comics, and even an, an occasional truck driver, folks who spend or have spent a lot of time schlepping themselves and their stuff around from town to town and gig to gig with a story or two to share. I try to get them to tell the things they haven't published in their autobiography or told to very many people. Now, before I continue, let me ask you, please subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll find Tales of the Road Warriors on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast apps. Please follow or subscribe and leave a five-star review if you'd be so kind. Comments are also encouraged, so if you see a comment area, please let me know you stopped by. Today, my guest is Robert Smokey Miles. He knows Bob Dylan personally and even used to be his house sitter as a teenager. Around 1987, Robert Smokey Miles began hosting open mics and acoustic music showcases at the Breakaway Gardens in Venice, California much like I did in the San Fernando Valley several years later. Although I had been to the breakaway on many occasions before I left Venice, I don't recall having ever met Smokey, although in retrospect I must have, because while editing this episode, I figured out it would have been almost impossible for me not to have crossed paths with this guy. As Count Smokula, a quirky vampire sporting a fez and playing accordion, he was a male counterpart to Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Although Elvira has a more massive following, Smokeyla has a pretty fair cult following of his own. He continues to perform in the annual Pasadena Duda Parade with the radioactive chicken heads. He's worked in some cult films, such as Magics, about a very unique magician who entertains sick and injured Palestinian and Jewish kids throughout Israel's pediatric hospitals. Original music performed by Bob as Count Smokula on his accordion is featured. He's also been in several bizarre trauma films from Trauma Entertainment, which is an independent film company. They produce low-budget independent films, mostly flicks that pay uh, homage, 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 however you say it, mostly flicks that pay homage to the 1950s horror films. Lots of farcical parodies with gratuitous fake blood, guts, and gore. These include Trasharella with Rena Riffle, and he even did a couple songs with Ron Jeremy, the porn star for Troma Dance Festival one year. For links to Smokey's website and YouTube videos, just go to uh, the Tales of the Road Warriors website, uh, www.talesoftheroadwarriors.com slash Smokey dash miles, where you'll find them right under the show notes. So yeah, Smokey's done his fair share of hosting music showcases, playing his guitar and the accordion, doing sketch comedy in the persona of the immortal Count Smokula, and some cameo appearances in movies and music videos with the likes of Bob Dylan himself. So enough said, here he is to talk about it, Robert Smokey Miles. Any relation to Hank? People ask you that all the time. You related to Hank Aaron? No, no it's funny, but... I mean, I met Buddy Miles. I said, hey, uh, I think, I, I don't know if I was Bob or Smokey at the time, but I introduced myself. I said, we're cousins. And he laughed and we gave each other a big hug. Yeah, and sometimes I wonder how I never crossed paths. I, I swear we had half, would have had to have been in the same room several times while I lived in California. There's no way to have avoided that. And it... I was thinking the same thing. Did you ever play at a place called The Breakaway? Yes, I did. Well, JT was hosting the open mic there. Uh, was he? I, I mean, it was me. I'm the one who started it. It was called... Uh, well, there was, a, there was a little open mic going on on Mondays with a girl, I forgot her name now, and when I moved into town, and then I played there, and I guess I made an impression on, on Tinsky, and he asked me to uh, to do a 
show on Wednesday night. Called it the Smokey's Living Room Hoot, like a hoot nanny, and it became really successful. You know, it uh, took quite a while to get I, it I going. Must, yeah, I must have gone to the hoot, and that was like when I first got to town myself. I I, I got there in 1977. Oh no, this was way later. I I didn't get here till '87. Oh really? I thought. Oh, I yeah. thought you had been in L.A. before me. No, I was in New York until. Uh, well, I I came to California in '72, but I I was only here a few months, and then I went back to New York and uh, and played all over there and stuff, and then I came back to I came to San Francisco in '86, '87 to to do this show called Dylan Words and Music, where I played Bob Dylan. And then after after that, I came to L.A., 87. So I must have started that around 87 or 88. It was weird. It was, uh, you know, just down the block from where I moved. I didn't know anything about L.A. And and uh, the breakaway was a, well, if you remember, it was a seafood restaurant, and they had a, a little, little back room with a bar and a small stage. Yeah, no, I had been there many times. I just don't know if I had been there at the same time as you. And we have a few friends in common that I know of. I mean, uh, Lynn Green, Lynn Robin Green for one, and my cousin Shelly, I know you know. And then and then I was looking at some of the guests you had. Uh, you had Lawrence Lebo on your um, sure. on the music hour, Smoky Miles music hour. And you yeah, hosted yeah. Lowen and Navarro, and uh, they used to work at High Pockets, which was owned by the same guy who owned the restaurant where I was a singing waiter. Well, now, which place was that? Well, I worked at the, the Great American Food and Beverage Company in Santa Monica. Dan, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah Lowen and Navarro worked at High Pockets, which was sort of like a, the Hollywood version of, of Great American. And that's how they met. But I think they clo- those places closed. Oh, long, yeah, a long time ago, and, and Poppy's pi- since passed on. In fact, we had a reunion about 10 years after Poppy died. Um, who, who was Poppy? He, he, he was the owner, Neil Poppy Morgan. Neil Morgan, but everybody right. just called him Poppy. And he was like Poppy. He was like everybody's dad. Couldn't wait to go to work. Every he day. had the Great American or the High Pockets or both? At uh, the Great American. When did you start the Smoky Miles Music Hour? Were you, was that that was Los Angeles, right? Oh yeah, back in New York, I'd been on a public access show. Once I think one or two or twice, I don't know. Uh, Sid Bernstein, I don't know if you know that name. You know, Sid Bernstein was the promoter and manager who brought the Beatles to the to America uh, first. I think he. he he did the Shea Stadium concert, the famous one that got them here where everybody, you know, he managed some people who became very big or whatever. I think he had the Loving Spoonful and Laura, Laura Nero, maybe. Right. And and then uh, Laura Branigan, you know, Gloria. Sure, I remember Laura Branigan. Yeah, well, Sid was like, he was a good friend. He was a family friend. His, his kid, kid, I had a stepkid. My first marriage, they were best friends, and and so Sid became like a wasn't a man who didn't manage us, but he was like a good friend and advisor. But then later on, he had this cable show, Public Access, and he invited me to play. So I knew about Public Access. But anyway, when I came to L.A. and I started doing that, uh, the Smokey's Living Room Hoot mm-hmm. down at the uh, Breakaway, it started to really build up. We had some great, great musicians and a really fun nights and and i thought you know this is awesome stuff it should be captured on something so i contacted the station i invited the uh program director of the you know to come down to the breakaway and see what we're doing it's very exciting so he came down sky marcello and uh well, I had all these people playing, and then I did my thing with uh, some people that were in my band. And while we were playing, boom, 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 there was a big earthquake. And all the lights went out, and everything kept shaking, the electricity went out. 
And I, I just kept singing, and every we lit candles and, and just kept going. So I called the guy the next day, apologized, and said, you know, you should come back. It was a terrible night because of what happened. And he said, oh, no. He said, all the electricity went out, and you guys kept performing. It was great. Let's do an acoustic public access TV show. What year was that? Uh, what year was this? You know, I'm trying to think. It was either, it was, it had to have been 1988 or... Could it have been 87? 80. I think the big earthquake you're talking about, I think that was 87. This wasn't the biggest one. No, the this biggest one the, was 94, the Northridge quake. I was there North, then too. Yeah, yeah, the Northridge quake, yeah. But this was a pretty big shaker. I think it had to have been 88, because I I came here in the summer of 87, and it took me a while to get that scene going. I'll look it up later, because now I'm curious. But uh, 88, 88 works for me. Who were some of the acts that you, that you uh, introduced there? Oh, geez. Well, where? On the... On the, on the um at the breakaway or on the TV show? On the TV show, on the music album. Uh, are, are, are we? Oh, we're, wait, we're still talking about the breakaway show. Well, either one. I mean, I was doing the breakaway show, and they wanted me to run a uh, an open mic. So I said, you know, I wasn't that interested in just doing an open mic. You know, it's like okay. I said, I said I'll do the open mic, but I'd like to feature somebody. You know, somebody who's really good and maybe has a reputation. And uh, so they, they they agreed. I said, but you you know, you've got to give them something. Well, we're not going to pay anybody anything. Except I got paid a little, you know, because I really busted my ass putting yeah. this together. Yeah, because uh, I did something but, similar to what you were doing at the breakaway. I was doing it in the valley at the chimney sweep. In the 90s, like from 90 to, from maybe 90 to 2000, about 10 years. Wow. I, I heard of the chimney sweep, but I don't think I ever played there, because that was in the valley, and I stuck pretty close to it. Yeah, it's a, it's a ways to go. Yeah, and my kid, my kid was born in uh, 92, so that changed a lot of things, you know. It was cool. Oh, the breakaway was a great place for music. I mean, I, I remember... Uh, Really having a good time there. I was a little intimidated by the talent at the breakaway when I first got there. Oh, it was fantastic. But see, what happened was I built it up. I took uh, several months, maybe six months or more. You know, it started, a few people would show up and blah, blah, blah. And then by the end, it was like people were fighting to get to get spots. Yeah. I mean, it, would, it became madness. And then all these girls, you know, they they, they like to... Please, please put me on. Especially when the, the when they heard that the the TV people, the public access producer was there, and they <laughs> said, "Oh my God, I'm going to get on TV." Yeah, I got to get some screen time for my agent. Screen time breaks the whole deal. So, I mean, but in that time, uh, people like Len Chandler, John Brahaney, they Len and John played on the show on the Smoky Mountains Music Hour. Uh, Paul Arnoldi. I don't know if you knew him. He was in the Cambridge music scene. And the big coup <laughs> was pretty funny. It was the, the um, Young Dubliners. Oh, wow. I don't know if you... Sure. I'm... Yeah, well, yeah, see, when I... It's so weird. When I moved into L.A., uh, I moved into this little building across the street from where I live now. And the first guy I met was uh, Paul O'Toole, who was with Keith. And they, they were a duo at the time called the Young Dubliners. They would play the Irish pubs in Santa Monica. And they were doing pretty well. And I knew that they had a good following. So I, I said, listen, let's get them to be the ringers, as J.T. would call them. And I said, okay, you know, they agreed to do it. They were friends of mine. Well, he said, no, no, we're, we're, we're a, uh, a folk bar, not, a, not an Irish bar. But they were bothering me that there weren't enough drinks sold. I said, listen, you get, you get these guys and they're following and they're going to be plenty of drinks sold. They reluctantly agreed to have them. And my God, I never saw so much beer flying 
you know, they were selling beer like crazy. And after that, they said, man, we got to have these guys back. <laughs> but the sound guy, he said, nah, they're my act now. I, I, I don't know if I want to mention names, you know. But, yeah, no, you don't have to, but I... Yeah, it was just money involved. They were making money, and all of a sudden they realized if they had acts like this, they didn't need me. Yeah, no, the guys like you and me who, like, introduced the the people who brought in the the big bucks, we never get credit for doing it. No, no, and then then they kind of told me uh, that was it, and and the the other guy took over, and they started a whole different policy where they would charge people, uh, you know, Yeah, once they get a taste of that, it's it's all over. Thanks a lot, Bob. It was nice knowing you. That's right, that's right. And, and and then everybody would have to announce what band they were coming to, and the band would get $3 out of 5 And if you didn't say anything, uh, you know, who you... I just came to see the show, then the house would take everything, you know. It would take the whole $5. At this point, I was starting to do my cable show. Now, the cable show started to, It was really great. We had people like Bonnie Bramlett, Yep. Floyd Dixon, who wrote Hey Bartender, um, Lawrence Lebo, as you mentioned. Um, I, I can go on and on. I put most of the shows up on, on YouTube now. I've been, you know, getting Yeah, I've been them. watching them. And you know what? i I got to compliment you because just out of curiosity, did you ever used to go to the game shows just to, and sit in the audience like uh, $25,000 Pyramid or Wheel of Fortune? Um, no, I think I, I I think I I worked at a couple as a production assistant. Oh, okay. Because I was wondering where you learned to get the audience to click, just keep clapping. Did you have like an applause sign, or what did you do to? It was like it's such a prof- for a cable access show. You had such a professional production. Well, I got very lucky with that. No, it was. I mean, I didn't know anything about TV when I first. We did a few tryout uh, episodes. You know, that weren't, I don't know if they were broadcast or cable cast or whatever. I just sort of learned how to do it. But the what they did was we had our own studio, a Continental Cable Vision in, in Marina del Rey. The guy said, okay, this back room, that's your studio. And we had that uh, big piece of brown paper called it the Wall of Fame or something. Yeah. And everybody would <laughs> sign it. And uh, and then it it was basically in a garage. They opened the door, put seats out in the parking lot, and a monitor out there. At the other end of the garage, you know, where, where the Wall of Fame was, was the musicians. And we had four camera shoot. It was three stationaries and a handheld. So basically, the audience, yeah, there was no you know coaching. They were spontaneously reacting to the shows. Yeah. They loved them. I great, create had they, great crowds and great energy, and you did you did a great job as as a host. You know, it kind of reminded me of me. That's what I was trying to say. It's like Robert and I like are so similar in, in a lot of ways. Oh yeah. But yeah. the one thing you do have in common with me uh, is that like you really are sincere about you know getting like really good people and presenting new and original music to your to your audiences. Oh, well, that was, yeah, that was exciting. I mean, when I started doing it, the idea was, well, I, yeah, just to, you know, to do it. And then I realized, you know, this, this thing is pretty cool. I, I, I'm getting some great people. I'm enjoying their performances. I love playing with them. We were doing jams. I don't, I hadn't seen that format anywhere. And it was all acoustic. We had no... No electrical uh, hookups whatsoever. And 99.9% of the shows went flawlessly. It was amazing. You know, with a volunteer crew, and the sound was good, and the pictures were good, and the people came and were great. And uh, a lot of spontaneity. A lot of spontaneity. Uh, My ex-wife was, uh, she was into it for a while, and she, she... she would cook up these, like, just bring all this food, you know, so we'd have the whole thing catered, and we'd have, like, all these musicians, you know, musicians love food. <laughs> so 
so it kept the mood really good, and it was like, okay, you know, we're just doing this thing. And um, we did it every week and from uh, Monday nights for an hour, and then they would re-cable re cast it on Saturday nights. And um, I'm thinking, you know, at the end of this thing, maybe maybe we can get it on, on, on something that was not public access. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like a major network or whatever. Little did I know, you know. So I started to get to a point where every show's got to be better than the next. I've got to top the last one. And there was a certain point where the director came to me and said, listen, no matter what we're doing, there was short of, we, we need to, to fill some more time. We had public service announcements. You know, we didn't have commercials. So like I said, well, okay, let's, let me try to come up with something for those few minutes, five to ten minutes, and I would start writing comedy sketches. And do it. You probably saw some of them. I'd come up with these characters and, and weird ideas, and uh, and they would show the stuff at the breakaway on the big screen, you know. <laughs> and and people would the format. I I mean the the feedback I was getting was that people would talk about these comedy sketches, you know. And then I and then I started making little movies. We did it at Westwood Music with Rick Turner. It was like like going to an archaeological dig where uh, these old guitars were like dinosaurs, the thundering Fendersaurus. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he'd have all these the neck bones of a thundering Fendersaurus and this and that. And he, he did it real straight. It was great. I'd just come along as like Hugh Hauser. Into, 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 that was the, yeah, the, the goofy stuff we did. And then we did one about this dog, Kingston Herman, was my friend's dog and said he made a big comeback as a uh, singer, you know. <laughs> He's been with the, ro the Rolling Bones and all this. What was his name? Kingston? Kingston Herman. Kingston Herman. <laughs> the return yeah, of Kingston was, Herman. So it was, did, it was, was kind it? of a, a deaf dog, you know. An <laughs> old deaf dog <laughs> who, who could play the piano, you know. So we'd do shots with his paws playing the piano. I was very proud of these things. They were very funny. Well, is this what I, uh, is this what led to the Count Smokula thing? Yeah. Uh, okay. So I'd been doing this for a few months, and then and then October was coming around, and the director said, "Why don't you come up with something for Halloween?" And I'm going, "What? Well, what are you talking about? I don't know anything about Halloween. I'm you know I'm a <laughs> I'm a folk singer or a singer songwriter, whatever." And I kind of went into like. It was weird. I remember three days, and I'm thinking, what the heck? What the heck? Halloween. What do I do for Halloween? And then it popped in my head, Smokey, Smokey, Smokula. Ah, like Count Dracula. Only, only you know, different. And, uh, yeah, I'll say. So we did one. <laughs> we did different. one. What's that? I said, I'll say. Only different. Yeah, 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 yeah. So... And I thought, well, Count Smokula should play the accordion, you know. I was playing guitar and harmonica, but the Smokula, I thought, uh, accordion, and we get a, a wacky band. And then we did a um, sketch where we took the brain from a, uh, a living man <laughs> and put it in the skull of a dead man and made the living Elvis. <laughs> now, was that you, or so, was this some kind of guest friend of yours as the living Elvis? Well, it, it was it was actually a friend of mine who was a manager. I mean, an agent. He he he, he actually uh, ran a, the head of a children's division at uh, one of the big agencies. But he had helped me out when uh, years before when I played Bob Dylan on stage in San Francisco. He he helped me negotiate the contract and was great. But he liked to dress up as Elvis for Halloween and parties and stuff. So I said, Bob, you want to do this thing? He said, sure. And, and uh, my friend Miriam, she, I, I went out, I got a beef brain, and and we did this brain transplant, and he <laughs> pops off the table, and, you know, instead of Frankenstein's monster becomes Elvis. <laughs> so I did this show. I had some uh, goofy band from Italy and uh, some... My own band was dressed like uh, there was a gorilla and uh, 
some other characters and we planned and uh, oh you definitely had kind of an, an eccentric thing going on there well you know it was great i mean it, it sort of reminded me after i did it i guess oh that's the influences like uh, you might remember zachary well here remember here in Zach? philadelphia we had a guy named dr shock and I used well, to actually well, dress up as Dr. Shock at the, uh, the block parties that we used to have, me and my friends. Uh, and uh, his uh, his um, catchphrase was, let there be fright. Oh, that's nice. So I used to say, let there be fright a lot. And then he had an assistant named Boris. Sort of like, you know, huh. Dracula had Igor. Right. Do Dr. Shock had Boris, and Boris was very effeminate and... You know, in between, like, the, the, they would show the late-night horror movies, and in between, you know, they'd cut to Boris and Dr. Shock interacting, and Boris would be, like, wa washing his pantyhose in a urinal, you know, and Dr. Shock would be like, What you doing? That's what perfect. you doing, Boris? You know, I'm, I'm just doing my laundry. Just weird weirdness. See, in those days, every major city had an independent channel, and right. and, and, and every one of them seemed to have a horror host, they, you know, they were at a different place. Zachary, I thought, was everywhere in the East Coast. He he had one of those weird shows. I always used to watch it. Never knew what the heck he was doing. He would throw stuff in a big vat, look like dough, and it would gurgle. <laughs> yeah, was Zachary out of New York? I think so, but uh, I, I thought he was all over the East Coast. Maybe maybe he was out of New York. All now, now they got the, what's this, Shvenguli or Shvenguli out of Chicago is big Sven, now. Yeah, Shvenguli's been around. Well, there's a, there's a website called the Horror Host Underground. Oh, really? That, that lists uh, hundreds of us, uh, and I got in there. I mean, they, they found me and put me on. It was great. I, I loved it. And then the, over here, there's a guy called the Night Shadow, David Miranda, who just uh, unfortunately passed away a few weeks ago, and he had a sh he had a real long running show. But anyway, I just did that one show, that one off, uh, as part of the Smoky Miles Music Hour, and I just kept thinking this guy will make a great talk show host someday. And there was one missing element. <laughs> was uh, actually it was I kept thinking I needed a fez. I was going to I was going to ask you about that fez. Like, where'd that little red fez idea come from? Is that like common headwear in Smoke Sylvania? Apparently. <laughs> Apparently. I mean, I kept no, it was weird. I kept thinking, you know, I should bring back the show and just forget all this acoustic stuff. Just do Smokeulum, and uh, it was in my mind for about seven, six, seven years. But I said, I, I don't know, something. I need a fez. And then along the way, I met a, a, a guy who became a good friend, Sid Smith. He, he was a uh, older, I guess he was pretty much retired producer. He produced all of Miss Universe pageants and the Bob Hope specials and uh, Circus of the Stars. And he had the best bachelor pad in, in Hollywood. And... Um, we used to go over there at these pool parties with tons of wonderful bimbos, and uh, and we'd play music and and then I said, Sid, you know, look at this thing I did, and he looked at the stuff and he went, This is marvelous. Your you and your characters are just great. We have to do a show. And he was talking about the same kind of show you were talking about, Doctor Shock or Svenguli, where they show movies and interrupt it with sketches and all this stuff. Yeah. So. But I'd, I'd kind of burn out of uh, producing myself from that last experience because it was like when I finished with the Smoky Miles Music Hour, I couldn't find, I couldn't get an agent to, to even look at it, to take it further. So I tried myself, and the networks were saying, no, we're not going to talk to you. We only talk to, um, you know, established agents and lawyers and yeah that was the problem with like hosting that kind of uh showcase open mic kind of thing is you'd have a lot of really great talent but they weren't like mainstream a-lister acts they, they were really good talented some super talented songwriters but just not quite there where, where you, you could get them signed to a you know like, yeah like austin well, they, austin they, city limits you they 
They weren't quite there right. yet. But it exactly. was just so exactly. great to be around people with that talent. You know, we can't, we couldn't help ourselves. We had to have that kind of show just to be around it. Yeah, yeah. Well, my my feeling at that point, you know, once I couldn't take the music hour further, and by the way, about a year and a half later after I started, they came out with MTV Unplugged like it was brand new, you know, Unplugged show. Of but they had the big names, you know, and Eric Clapton and Dylan and yeah. whoever else would do it. And so they got a budget. They got... You know, it was huge, and MTV was just getting going in that sense. Of, Doesn't matter. I consider, I still consider you a, a pioneer. Thank you, thank you too much. I, 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 you know, looking back on it, you know, people do look at these shows now that I put them up, and I, I just get marvelous response to in general. You know, I mean, and, and it's an eye opener because a lot of these people, some of the people have gone on to do bigger things, like Lowen and Navarro. I mean, they were on my show, yeah. And, uh, they, and Dan was so young looking. Like now, he's got like a gray, gray salt and pepper gray beard. And back then, he was clean shaven, and you know. Oh yeah, and they hadn't signed. You know, it was about six months later they got signed to Mercury Records, and their video "Walking on the Wire." I looked at their video and the performance on on the Smoky Miles Music Hour. That was virtually the same. I mean, they did just great on my show, and they did great in the video, and it was pretty much the same performance. It's great to be able to see that video on YouTube on on the uh, Smoky Miles Music Hour. Of uh, I think so. You know, early. I, think, I mean, early. I don't know. Do you know who Sandy Bull is? Yeah, Sandy Bull was on another another uh, episode. I knew of him peripherally. I'd seen him in New York, and to me. And I'd listen to his albums, and he was, a, I mean, the guy was a legend. He was one of the really great innovators. He would he had tracks, this is back in the Folk City days in the 70s, where he would loop things on tape recorders and then play to them with ouds and banjos and jumbishes, uh, not jumbish, uh, sarodes. I mean, he was amazing. And, you know... Doing like Carmina Burana on the on the banjo. I mean, come on, this was like you know just brilliant stuff. And so to get him on the show to me was just wow. He'll agree to come on my dopey show, <laughs> you know, my little show, and it was wonderful, you know. So a I little put it show up with a big heart. It did. It had a a, a big heart. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Steve Pat helped me a lot finding people. He knew a lot of great musicians he's a doctor played i think he played with the chambers brothers at one time and then went went to medical school and became a doctor but he's a great player we he did some of the sketches with me oh yeah so uh yeah and he plays a lot you know on, on the shows didn't you play yeah. the doodah parade as as um count smokula for a few years um the, the pasadena yeah. doodah parade Oh, yeah. I mean, I, just about every year for, I don't know, 20 years. I'm like a legend over there. Yeah, now how'd that get started? Because the doodah, well, first of all, let, I'm going to let you just describe the doodah parade and then tell me how you got involved. <laughs> doodah parade is, I guess it's the closest thing to a carnival. I mean, it, it was, it started out as a spoof on the Rose Bowl parade where they had this, you know, very perfect, Queen waving, you know, like a, that uh, uh, plugging in a light bulb wave. Right. And uh, then it started, I don't remember how many years ago, long before me, with some drunks. Uh, <laughs> the, alternative, the alternative Rose Bowl parade. Totally alternative. I mean, it was a bunch of drunks goofing on the whole thing and uh, walking around Pasadena just around the time of the uh, Rose Bowl, maybe a week before or whatever, around uh, Thanksgiving. And it became a, like a tradition kind of where, you know, they could, what do they call it, the irregular tradition. But they did it mostly at that time in, in uh, the nice part of Pasadena around Union Street and everything. 
And I had a friend uh, years later, after I started doing Count Smokey, when I started doing my shows, this fellow Philip, he says, oh, you you, you got to try out to be for Duda Queen. Now, I didn't know anything about it. I'm going, look, I'm not a drag queen. I'm not, you know, I, I it's, it's it sounds weird to me. He says, just trust me, just go, and you'll love it. So I said, okay. You know, so I put on the smokular costume, and I tried out, and it was an instant love fest. I mean, I wasn't queen, but... <laughs> Uh, and Queen is like, the, you know, it doesn't have to be a woman. And they didn't have a king. And I started going, and all of a sudden, there was all this publicity. Like, every time I'd go, they'd put my picture on the front of uh, uh, all the local papers, and then, in some cases, the uh, national papers. The, the L.A. Times would pick it up. They, one, one year, the, um, what was it, the Pasadena Weekly, the whole front cover was my my uh, mug, you know, <laughs> and there were hundreds of thousands of them in the street, and you know, I'm going in the parade just having fun, and all these people know me, so I just really loved it, and and it's become a, it's not about the publicity, it's the camaraderie. I mean, you see the same people every year. I always and, had and a blast I, every year you know, when everybody else was going to the Rose Parade. I was, I always preferred the Doodah Parade, and I went for a few years, so. Oh, did you see me there? Yeah, but I didn't. You know, like I didn't know who you were back then. I didn't find out until oh. <laughs> years later. It never dawned on me that you and I would like have all these people in common. But uh, it's funny how things work out. Now I got a question for you, Smokey. Yes, sir. Um, yeah. I think I saw you like like as Count Smokula, and even even as a, just a normal person, you. You never really have a problem with women. Like you're always surrounded by beautiful women. They're part of your world, and as Count Smokular, Count Smokular, they're they're part of your shtick. But I saw you, I think, on like a love connection or a dating game, dating kind of show. Blind date, blind date. Yeah, it was blind. I think it was blind date. Yeah, and you seemed like <laughs> so almost like afraid of women. <laughs> oh me. Yeah, like, like, yeah, like almost girl shy. Oh, I am very shy. I, I am very girl shy. I mean, with the smoke yellow, you know, maybe it's, uh, maybe they like my uh, shade of lipstick or something. Yeah. I don't know. But, you know, they don't want the pictures taken. But on on Blind Date, no, this woman was, uh, she, she, uh, look, I got on the show. Originally, they, they said, no, no, we just want regular people. But I go, you know, I don't really want to do that. I'd rather go on and smoke it, count smoke and have some fun, you know, yeah. and get get some exposure. So then they called me and they said, "Well, we decided to, you know, have have one of those uh, eccentric character episodes." So you're in, and uh, they get, you know, my date was Gloria, the vagina designer. That's what her <laughs> her business card said. I mean, she 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 waxed the vagina, you know. So, I forgot about but, that part. Gloria, the well, vagina designer. They they downplayed it. They didn't say that. Right. Well, she, I'm not going to downplay know, she, it. I'm actually, right now, I'm declaring Gloria as a, a sponsor of this episode. This episode of Tales of the Road Warriors is sponsored by Gloria, the, the vagina designer. What? Who once went out on a date with Count Smokula, my guest. Right. So my, my goal in the thing was, I figured, ah, you know, if I get all this TV exposure as Count Smokula, I'll just, I won't break character, that's it. You know, no matter what, I don't care. I'm just going to be Count Smokula. So she didn't expect anything like this. And, uh, you know, I just, hello, Gloria, what's shaking? And she kept going all during the date. She goes, what is this? Why, why are you dressed like this? Is this the way you go? You dress when you go out, you know. And I go, of course, Gloria. You know. So she totally so, didn't get that you were like <laughs> spoofing. She didn't, no. And at one point, I said, Gloria, aren't you having enjoying yourself, having fun? And she goes, No. And I go, Why not? She goes, Because I met you. I was expecting Prince Charming. <laughs> Look what I got. So then, in the, the end, the queen of the dude what? And then instead she gets the queen of the doodah parade. 
No, she didn't French even chair. get that. She was like pissed, I think. Uh. So she go, she goes like, in the end, they're going. The director comes up to me. He goes, "Look, count." He says, "This is this is it, Gloria. Gloria likes you. I think I think you can get some action, but but you got to show the real, you know, the inner you. Otherwise, you know, I don't I don't think so. So." He says, you play it any way you want. That's up to you. He says, but I'm just telling you. So then she goes, Al, if you want to see the inside of my bedroom, all this has to come off. And I said, Gloria, I just can't do it. I'm much too shy. And she goes, that's it. Date's over. You know, and she storms <laughs> out. They call her a taxi. And then, you know, they made a oh, poor Count Smokula. You know, he screwed up and whatever. He didn't get to glories of glory. That's hilarious. Yeah, even after I serenaded her, I wrote her a song, you know, love songs. Uh, I, I sang it to her in the car, on, I played on the accordion. Oh, Gloria, I'm in euphoria. I want to see more of <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> it's funny because I was on the dating game years ago, and oh, I, I, I actually got picked. But uh, I remember um, her name was Trisha, and, uh, you know, when they introduced me, I, I said, uh, if if I don't win, I'm going to miss you, Trisha. <laughs> so, oh, nice. so, as I said, you and I, we think alike in some, some ways. I won you, that, but I lost on the on gong the... show, like you. We both got gong. Oh, well, yeah. No, I, well, I was on the extreme gong show, not the, the gong show was much bigger. But when I auditioned for the gong show, you know, when they were bringing it back, I played this song I wrote called Tattooed Lady as my audition piece and all of a sudden Chuck Barris jumps out of the I don't know where he was hiding I hadn't seen him before huh. and he says he says uh, I like that play it again and he pulls out a guitar and he starts jamming with me wow yeah what are the but odds Ch Ch Chuck was one of a kind boy I miss him yeah he was he was awesome whether it was the gong show or the extreme gong show we're part of an elite club having gotten gonged oh yeah because uh, anytime I tell that story, everybody's like, their eyes widen. You were on the gong show? That's legendary. Yeah. Legendary. Well, yeah. what happened with Trisha? Did you go out on a date? You know how a lot of actresses, uh, their agents put them on these game shows just for exposure, just so, you know, to get their faces out there. So that, I think that was the case because she turned down the date. She didn't really look like she wanted to be there at all. But the rule is... Beware at the, on the date, you mean? Yeah, but the rule is if one of the other forfeits the date, then the other one is free to go on the date with whoever they want as long as it's a member of the opposite sex. So it's like, you know, I was working as a singing waiter and I'm friends with all these waitresses at work and I'm, I just had them all put their name on a $5 bill and I said, I'm going to pick one and then we're going to use the rest of this money to buy souvenirs to bring back and we're just going to have a good time. So that's what I did. Where'd you go? Uh, Mexico City. Uh, and they, oh, they sent you there for how long? Three nights, four days. Was it awesome? It was totally awesome. Wow, that's great. Yeah, and then when I got back, a couple, about a week later, a bunch of turtle wax shows up at the door, you know, because you also win like a year's supply of turtle wax. <laughs> <laughs> So I got, you know, won a great trip and lots of turtle wax. Now, do you remember any of the producers there? No, not really. Just just remember Chuck Barris. Oh, he was on he was involved in Blind Date? No, he was involved with the Gong Show. Oh, with oh, with Blind Date. No, Jim Lang was the host of the show, but I don't remember any of the producers. Oh, cuz I had a friend who was a producer in that show. Oh really? And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, uh, how do they, how, how do they pick them? I think it was that show. He said, well, he slept with all of them. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, they're always looking for contestants. I had a friend who worked as a contestant coordinator, and it was his job to just get people to go on the show. And I think that's why I went on because he just needed people. He said, "How yeah. do the dating game?" And I'm like, "No, I'm doing the dating game." He goes, "Come on, I need people." So I, he says, "Just don't tell me you know me." <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I kind of just did it as a favor for, for my friend. But I won. I ended up winning. So, like, okay, works for me. That's great. You got to Mexico. 
So, oh, and again, I won because I serenaded her. Oh, nice. I sang K Sera Sera. Wow. And, um, so, was she, did she become a well known actress? I doubt it. I don't remember seeing her after that on anything. But, um, so I got one other thing I want to bring up about you, because it's a very big part of you, and that is your artwork. Oh, yeah. You're forever posting, like, your art on, on your Facebook pages, and you got some, like, really, some avant-garde stuff and like, a lot of nice boobies. Yeah, I don't show as many boobies as I got, man. I mean, I got some really, you know, but I don't want to get in Facebook hell or anything. Yeah, we but, don't want you to get kicked off of Facebook just because you're artistic. <laughs> right, right. Do, uh, do, you, do you, do you no, sell your doing art? That. What's that? Do you sell your art or show it in galleries or coffee houses or anything? I, I have. I have had, uh, had, you know, had them in galleries. Uh, I've been doing it since I was just a kid, you know. I mean, always. I was always doing the art. And then... When I went into Princeton, I was pre-med for a well, while. I switched majors all the time. I was going through this crazy period, you know, I, which I'm still going through, which, you know, I don't know what to do. Is there uh, somewhere online or on a website where you have any of, uh, of them featured where, like, can people look at it and buy it from you? Online? Yeah, yeah. There, there's a, well, there's, there is a site. If you go to smokymiles.com, yeah. which we're just putting up now, it's starting to starting to have you know it has links so there's a thing that says art and that goes to a website that has a few of my pieces but uh i haven't my son did it for me a few years ago and then he, he went off on his travels and we haven't been able to sit down i haven't been able to figure out how to get back into the site to add things Oh, okay, because I was I was going to say, and I mean, this is totally unsolicited. This is just me talking. I love your art. Like I would, I would love to have some of your art on my walls. But uh, oh. and I just want to put it out there that if it's possible to you know click on a link on the SmokyMiles.com website and find your stuff, I'm just, I just want to put it out there right now. You guys got to check Smokey's artwork out. It's great stuff, and um, like, how's it? How would it arrive? Like rolled up in a tube or framed? There's all kinds of art. Uh, I mean, I've got a lot on uh, on canvas, and then a lot on uh, paper. And now I've been, I've been, I've been doing a lot of things on odd materials that you would not expect. <laughs> I'll give you an example. Um, my old cable shows in the old days of public access. They required that your show be on three-quarter inch tape. So, and in order to bicycle them around to different stations, I had to get several copies so I could have the shows going on everywhere in LA. And and I think there was some in Portland, maybe they showed them. But anyway, so I had all these three-quarter inch tapes, and then the formats changed. So then they said, no, everything has to be on DVD, no three-quarter inch. Well, I had all these three-quarter inch tapes. I spent, you know, quite a bit of money and time and, you know, copying. and uh. So I'm going, oy vey, I got hundreds of these things, and they're worthless. I digitized them onto uh, DVDs, and then I uploaded them to YouTube for the whole world to enjoy. And now I got these tapes, so I, I figured, all right, I don't need the tapes. I'll call a recycler and see what they'll give to me. You know, I figured if they give me two bucks a tape, I'll make a few hundred bucks. <laughs> they said to me, well, yeah, we'll, we were happy to take it off your hand. Well, you got to pay us uh, four or five bucks a tape. I said, what? what? I got to pay you to get rid of my tapes? I go, that's crazy. Bye-bye. And so I started to paint them. <laughs> I, I, I painted the boxes and even some of the actual uh, videotape. So they got my characters on them, and I got those. And then I found a pile of old, do you remember the floppy disks, the little floppy disks? I painted a bunch of them, too. <laughs> what am I going to do with them? I'll throw them out. So but, you could you use know. anything as a medium for your artwork. and uh... Yeah. Now they're sending me food. The mayor has a program send food and they send these boxes 
with uh, aluminum cold um, bags. Uh-huh. I painted a bunch of them. I think they'll look great framed. But I, I you know, framing is a big deal. It's expensive and yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I suppose when I, you know, I'm supposed to be able to get this art to a point where, like, somebody orders them, I can ship them out well, and then if they want it framed, we'll frame them. If not, they'll frame them. Uh-uh. But yeah, I'm, people, people can I'm be responsible off. for their own framing. They'll still buy, buy your artwork. I mean, that's the main thing that they're buying is, is your artwork. Exactly, exactly. And, I, you know, I, I have a fantasy dream that it's actually worth something. I have sold pieces. They, things they go well, and the galleries seem to fold very quickly. That's been my experience. <laughs> and then, yeah, I had them in the Beverly Hills Gallery. Gallery. You know where stuff like that goes best, though. Seriously, little coffee houses that sponsor local artists, and they yeah. a lot of coffee houses will like feature a, a artist of the month, and to put your stuff up on their walls. I can't, really can't do it now because of COVID. That's the problem. Right. So that's why right. I was asking I if you have a website where people can just go and, and take a look at what what you've done. And and if they can buy it online, then I'm just encouraging people to do that, to find you and find your art and get you some. I appreciate it. I want to, I want to uh, have people buy it and, and put it on their walls and enjoy it. Yeah, and it's very a lot. Of, there's like a lot of humor behind it. Like some some yeah, of your they, stuff, you just look at it and you laugh because, like, there's sort of like you can see you're painting it with a twinkle in your eye. I guess so. I mean, I've been doing it when I was a kid. I I used to take like rolls of paper and I would just you know of like uh, what do you call it? Like napkins or in fact, I have a whole napkin collection still from the times I used to go to bars. And I would draw either people or imaginary characters. I've kept them because I figured that would make a great art show, you know. Picasso used to do that. I mean, some of his napkins are worth like thousand dollars now. Oh, worth more than that. Yeah. Or, or, well, the starting but, uh, point. Yeah, I haven't. You know, I mean, my thing. I think at some point it will all make sense. But I, I, I've mostly devoted so many years to the music, you know, to trying to market the music and uh, selling that, that this, these kind of conflict in terms of time, but I, I, uh, the sales part, the art, the art stuff, I just keep doing. I never stop. In fact, I mean, I had probably more training in the art. Like I said, I went in, try, uh, going in pre-med and I switched to philosophy, and I was doing Near Eastern studies for a while. Uh, I was studying Arabic, and it was funny because I was hanging with, my dad was like, why do you want to learn Arabic? And then Bob Dylan said, Arabic, why do you want to learn Arabic? <laughs> so and I what, how did your relationship with Bob Dylan come about? Did I tell you that story? Or? No, not really. Oh. Oh, that was a good. It's got to be yeah. fascinating um, because not everybody can say you know they know Bob Dylan and you you. Well, I I housed that for him uh, during the summer of the Woodstock Festival, first one, and I I used to go stay at his house, and then I ended up many many tales with Bob. And oh, how how'd you end up as a house sitter? Like you had an ad, ad in, the, in the local paper saying you know house sitter. Uh, no, 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 work no, cheap. no. Uh, it wasn't like that. It was uh, well. My uh, my grandfather died, and uh, we were very broken up. And my parents uh, re- uh, said, well, "Let's get away for the summer." And we they rented a little cabin in Woodstock, New York, and they started going up there. And um, Woodstock, New York, that's where Bob Dylan was. If there was anybody I wanted to meet in my life, it was Bob Dylan, of course. So at that time, you know, he was like it. So my mom is a nurse. Thank God she just had her 95th birthday uh, yesterday. Oh, happy and, birthday, uh, Smokey's mom. Yeah, mom, mom is cool. So she had just studied Lamar's natural childbirth to teach it. And uh, she put an ad in the local Woodstock paper with the landlady of the place that we rented who taught, uh, she was a writer who taught bridge. Uh, card game bridge 
And uh, so they split an ad in the local Woodstock paper for, I think it was a dollar, and they each spent 50 cents, one for bridge lessons, one for Lamaze Natural Childbirth lessons. And the only person who ever responded to my mom's ad was uh, Sarah Dillon. (laughs) So, uh, you know, she... My brother, my younger brother, picks up the phone, you know, says, oh, this woman wants letting Lamaze childbirth lessons. What's her name, Sarah Dillon? We call my mom. She comes in, and uh, she's, okay, what's your name? Sarah Dillon. She writes down Sarah, D-I-L-L-O-N. Uh-huh. <laughs> like Marshall no Dillon. Yeah, like who? Marshall Dillon. Like, you know. Marshall Dillon, exactly. <laughs> and we, we're, we're standing around going, what the hell? You know, Mom, what are you doing? And she goes, okay, so uh, you're coming Tuesday. Your husband has to come, too. Okay, great. And we're jumping around and carrying on. And she, she gets off the phone. She says, what are you doing? What are you making noise? I finally have a student for this thing. And you're, you're making all kinds of ruckus. <laughs> Mom, you know who is coming on Tuesday? She goes, nah, some woman named Mrs. Dillon. Mom, think, think. <laughs> Dylan, 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 come on. And she goes, oh, oh, my God. So then she realized it, and she goes, all right, if you behave, I'll introduce you. <laughs> so Tuesday comes around, and, you know, Bob and Sarah roll up, <laughs> and they uh, they have their lesson, and then uh, my mom says afterwards, well, she, she told she told us, this, I meet Bob, right? And he goes, hey, my name's Bob. I'm like, I don't know. And I shake his hand. I say, so is mine. So is mine. You know, okay, I was Bob. So we're Bob. So, so, uh, <laughs> they, so my mom says after, I said, how'd the lesson go? And she goes, well, you know, he said, he said, well, the men of my family, she says, you know, Bob, you'll have to assist your wife at this job. And, and he goes, well, you know, the men of my family traditionally don't attend the birth of their children. And my mom looks him straight in the eye. She goes, well, you know, Bob, the times, they are changing. <laughs> Your mom said <laughs> that to Bob Dylan? My mom says that to him, right? And she, I said, well, what do he do? He, he nods his head. And they came back for more lessons, you know. And then and then uh, they we had a pool on the property, and they didn't have it, so he came swimming. And, um, and then the next summer went by, and the next summer... Went back up there. I had a job at Dini's restaurant as a dishwasher in between college, uh, you know, it was summer vacation. Right. And Dini's was it was a big restaurant in Woodstock, you know, it was it was good uh, place. And uh, let's see, Rick Richard Manuel used to come in around two o'clock or one o'clock every morning. He'd fiddle around at the piano. I'd sit at the bar have a after work beer and. Um, but then, then I got I called Bob, and uh, the housekeeper was there. She said, oh, he's taking a nap. He'll call you back. And I figured, I didn't know if he'd call me back. He called me back a couple hours later. He said, come on over. Then he said, look, uh, they, they want me to play in uh, England, uh, Isla White, you know. He says, I don't know if we're going to go, but if we do, would you, would you mind staying in the house, take, keeping an eye on it? So that was it. He went to Isla White. He was nervous about all these people going to Woodstock Festival, oh, uh, which was 50 miles away. But, you know, he looked up a uh, like a long mountain road. It was kind of isolated, you know. So uh, I ended up staying there, and I met all the characters that he didn't want to meet. You know, Jesus Christ would come up there, and John the Baptist. And they had a big uh, kitchen with a... I mean, it was a, it wasn't that big, but there was a huge uh, window in the. It was in the back of the house, or facing the backyard, and there were no curtains there, so it was like it'd be eating breakfast, and these hairy people would be, you know, long beards would be just staring in the kitchen. They and it's scary because you're isolated, you know. Yeah, and this was it, Jesus Christ and John the Baptist hanging out at Dylan's Well, no, house? no, they, they, that was different. Jesus, it would be a ring at the bell. A guy, yeah, well, who's there? Hi, I'm Jesus Christ. Is Bob there? Well, you know there's some problem, you know. Most people don't identify themselves as Jesus if they're in the right mind. You know, so it was a little nerve-wracking. And uh, I could see how 
you know, it was tough for him having young children, you know, and then John the Baptist, well, I have John the Baptist. And there's one dude that came and he refused to leave until Bob came out of the house. Well, that wasn't going to happen. So I, I was I was very lucky. My dad drove up at that time and uh, scared the guy away because you know this was around. The, this was the same summer as uh, Manson was killing people on the or Manson family killing oh, yeah. people on the West Coast. On the East Coast, they had a serial killer too. Oh, it's on the sand. Yes, on the sand. Yeah, I mean all this. You know, a lot of times uh, famous people are uh, you know for whatever reason they're. You know, it's Hard funny, when, like when I first um, moved out to California, my friend Deej, who moved out ahead, he moved out ahead of me. So when I finally moved out there, him and his girlfriend wanted to take me like on a tour of California. Like, all the So they drove me out to Box Canyon, where the, where the Manson family had lived. You know, they were all in jail now at the time. But this was just <laughs> shortly after all that had transpired. And Smokey... I don't think I've ever stood on more unholy feeling ground. Like I said, can we just go now? I, I, I couldn't. It, it really, truly was upsetting to be standing there. You could feel the, you could feel the evil in the ground there. Did you recognize any of that stuff? Did you see the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah, and having seen that, like, the, yeah, it brought me back. I'm like, God, it's exactly how I remember it. That was they shot it in the same place. Apparently so, because that that looked like it to me. Oh my god! Either they shot it there, or they did a great job of reconstructing it. Wow! Wow! But wow. Uh, yeah, all the little abandoned little uh, shacks and whatnot, and oh. and the, just the the barren, it was just barren and, and very eerie. It's like you couldn't just. I just couldn't wait to get out of there. I'm like, okay, can we go now? Huh? I, I've seen enough. Uh, you know, wow. can we see uh, Disneyland now? Oh, it but, is. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's disturbing, especially knowing oh. you know what those people had done. We have to end up on more of an up note now because I, I just so uh, yeah. How about like little shameless self promotion? Tell me like you know what you're doing. You're dealing. We're all dealing with the COVID now, and we're on lockdown. So, what are you? Got, what what kind of stuff you got going? You know, I, I kind of went, I mean, yeah, like everybody, you know, just sort of trying to <laughs> duck the the droplets in the atmosphere that could kill you. Right. Oh, and you wrote a little song about it, too. I just remember. I did. Well, the, the social distance dance. The social distance dance. <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, and I made a video of that. Uh, that's up on YouTube, the social distance dance, Smoky Miles. You could, There's two... They, they put up just one with an MP3, but the other one has a whole video with with Mar my puppet, Marky Doodles Hamburger, and there were some of the radioactive chicken heads and Lloyd Kaufman from <laughs> YouTube and uh, some other really cool people. It's a great video. I saw it. Thank you. I'll, I will put a link to it on my show notes page, so make sure my listeners who visit my website will be able to click on that and see that, that social distance dance in action awesome 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 yeah and um yeah we're gonna we'll see where that goes i'm, I'm hoping to release that in several different languages actually with native singers uh singing it oh that'd be neat yeah yeah so i have i have the translations looking for some people i got a, an italian version that that's been recorded hasn't been released yet and I got translations in Spanish, Portuguese, Chinese, German, and um, French. No Arabic <laughs> or Hebrew? Uh, yeah. Somebody was talking about, about getting a Hebrew version. I hadn't thought about an Arabic version, but that, that could be interesting. If you know anybody. Cover all the bases. Yeah, no, I wish I did. I don't know anybody. All right, I'd hook you up in a heartbeat. I if anybody can write songs that translate songs from... Arabic to, to English, or I mean, from English to Arabic or Hebrew to Arabic. Uh, let me know, and I'll get a hold of Smokey, and we'll we'll put you together. That'd be cool, yeah. That'd be so, cool. all right. Well, man, it's been great talking to you. That that your Dylan story was fabulous. Like, like 
Thank you oh, so much so for much sharing Oh, there's so much more that. to it, but I, you know, I'll save that for some other time. I mean, Bob Dylan and I have this, or I have this, I have some kind of weird karma. I don't know. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot more, but I don't want to talk about it right now. Uh, uh, and then, yeah, no, you could see me playing. I ended up playing in this Christmas video. You know that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So you're in Dylan's Christmas video. It must be Santa. It must be Santa. Let you me know? write that down, yeah, because I'll put a link to that in the show notes, too. That'd be great. And then maybe you want to put, if you're going to do a smokula, too, you've got a couple of cool videos there, like Zombie and Poultry Geist. Zombie and Poultry Geist. Yeah, there's more, too, but those are, Zombies is a pretty big one. Poultry Geist, that's a good title. Well, Poultry Geist was for, uh, I, I do, I've done a lot of uh, writing for, uh, songwriting for trauma movies, Toxic Avenger and all that stuff. And, and yeah, in fact, uh, I, I have a song in the new one, Shakespeare's Shitstorm. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a remake of, of The Tempest with uh, Lloyd Kaufman, the head of trauma, singing my sea shanty, Shitstorm. <laughs> That's just coming out now. I think they've shown. Well, you are busy. You got a lot. You you, you are qu quite a productive guy. You know, I I'm afraid to leave the house in case droplets come. By the end of the day, I go. I don't care anymore. I put a mask on and take a long walk. So that, I, I'll tell you one more thing. I'm get, I'm working on a song. My cousin Lisa Gedoldik, she 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 runs a, uh, a comedy show up in the Bay Area. Well, I think now she's doing it virtual. But it's called Kosher Kung Pao Comedy. <laughs> and she, she asked me for something about the Jews and Christmas, so I'm writing a song about that now. There have been a few, but... Uh, and we look forward to that. All right, Smokey. Great talking to you. Thank you for thinking of me. Keep in touch. And one day we shall meet and rock and roll. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Smokey Miles, Count Smokula. What'd you think? Pretty fun, huh? Fun guy. Uh, anyway, I want to thank you, uh, Smokey, for taking the time to talk to me and uh, and sharing some interesting stories. Uh, once more, let me just remind everybody that this is Tales of the Road Warriors, and I'm Hal in Philly, or Hal Aaron Cohen, which is my full name. I want to thank you for just taking some time to hang out with me and Smokey today. Visit the website, www.talesoftheroadwarriors.com, and drop a comment in the comment section. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or if whatever your app you're listening to, if there's a, um, a rating, please give me five stars. And uh, I will see you. Well, you know what? I'm going to tell you briefly that the, the uh, my upcoming guest is... Michael Winslow, the man of 10,000 voices. You know him from Police Academy and some of the Cheech and Chong movies. And you may have seen some of his incredulous, incredible YouTube videos. So we're going to talk all about that. And uh, right now, I'm going for a drive. Yeah, I'm going for a drive.